let's go now. Hey, start fast. Set the tone today, baby. Win on three, one, two, three. With the ninth pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, Carolina Panthers select Luke Keekley. Linebacker, Boston College. Everyone knows Luke Keekley is Captain America. But I uh -oh. call him Captain America. The hard-hitting tackler. And he is smothered right away by Keekley. The smart player and the all-time great. A second coming of Erlacher and all these other linebackers that you learned to love growing up in football. Luke Keekley was just a very, very special football player. They hear the booming chants of Luke throughout college and NFL stadiums and are immediately drawn back the ridiculous interceptions. They're going to throw it, and it's intercepted by Kickley. And the plays that have your hands on your head in utter disbelief. Kickley inside the 20, to the 10, and to the end zone for another Panther defensive touchdown. 118 NFL games of the Carolina Panthers, 1,092 tackles, 18 interceptions, Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2012, Defensive Player of the Year in 2013, seven Pro Bowl appearances, and NFC Champion in 2015. The Carolina Panthers are NFC Champions, and Ron Rivera is going to the Super Bowl. Even going back to his time as an Eagle, Luke was a superstar in the making at Boston College. And like in his NFL career, Keekley did just about everything. He left BC as the all-time leading tackler, not just in school history, but in NCAA history. He picked off seven passes, scored three touchdowns, was a two-time All-American, and the 2011 ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And while BC's record was not among their best during his time, win or lose, number 40 for BC was always flying high. Intercepted, Keekley! And Keekley with the stiff arms. Keekley still on his feet. Touchdown, Keekley. You are Superman, Luke. On the surface, these stats and achievements are what tells a story that is larger than life, of a legend in his own right, both at a certain school in Chestnut Hill and an NFL organization in Charlotte. But that is not the whole story that Luke Keekley himself will tell. To Luke, there's more than football, than tackles, sacks, interceptions, and even wins and losses. Football for Luke Keekley was and still is a brotherhood, a lifelong romance, and a perennial passion. For Luke, it's about the friends he made, the fun he had, and the work he put in that set him apart just as much as his play on the field did. I Maybe I'm speaking for myself, but not, not everybody feels this way. But I love the game of football. It was very good to my, my family. It was very good to me. I met a lot of really good people. And now that the game's over, I, I quite frankly miss it. So, And this love of the game and everything in between has roots back to his beginnings. As a native of Cincinnati, Ohio, and a proud graduate of St. Xavier's Prep, Luke Keekley always loved sports. But Keekley's relationship with football matured quicker than any of the others. And it wasn't long before Keekley realized he loved the game more than anything else. Honestly, when I was growing up, I, I just loved, I loved sports and I loved the game of football. I liked watching it. I liked the team aspect of it. I like the thinking aspect of it. And everybody as a little kid just wants to go play football. I mean, at least that's what I wanted to do. That's all what all my friends wanted to do. We always couldn't wait till the first year we were able to play football. So the first year for me was in fourth grade, but football was the obvious 
wanted to play in the fall and it was something that I wanted to play for a long time. And like I said, fourth grade was that first year that I wanted to go out there and do it. His parents instilled a drive in him and his brothers to work hard and within that to enjoy whatever you did. And while it did take time for football to become his life's work, it had always been his livelihood, making Luke one of the pure lovers of the game. While at St. X, Luke dazzled on the field, drawing the attention of schools such as Virginia, Duke, and Stanford for his football talents. Yet in keeping with his attitude about the game, when Boston College came calling, Luke answered emphatically. Not solely because he liked the football program, not only because he wanted an NFL pipeline, but because he loved the people there. He loved the city, and he loved the culture around the school whose motto of ever to excel describes perfectly the way Keekley carries himself. Obviously, you guys know it's a beautiful campus. It's right outside of Boston. And one of the other reasons was I wanted to go to a school that I wouldn't be able to get into without football. And I'm Keekley has emphasized that his time at BC was augmented by the many coaches that helped him elevate his game. Our defensive coordinator, um, linebacker coach was Bill McGovern. The relationships that he made with his teammates. See, Mark Herzog was there. Mike McLaughlin was there. And then Mike Morrissey was... Um, same year as as hers and Wes and Albright. And even those he made off the field, in the classroom. I had a lot of really, really good teachers. Amy Lacombe was a really good teacher as well. His admiration and everything around it continued when he was drafted by the Panthers, where he was once again enchanted by the camaraderie he shared with his coaches, fellow players, and even his competitors. And Luke was so gracious to my son. He spent 20 minutes with my son. It was just one of those moments where you look back and you say, okay, I get, I get why this guy is like he is, revered like he is by, even, by guys that never played with him. During his eight years in the NFL, Luke was lauded for his play, but immortalized for his character. And even when he retired at the height of his game before the age of 30, Keekley emphasized the importance of what goes on behind the scenes. And these are the best times of playing. Obviously on the field is awesome, but the, some of the best times of playing this game are behind the scenes in the locker rooms, in these meeting rooms, on the buses, traveling the games. So the story of Luke Keekley is incomplete without football. That is the whole of football. Yes, the stats, the big plays, and the winning are part of what makes him great. And his love of his teammates, his love of hard work, and overall, his love of the game are what makes Luke Keekley, Captain America, a legend. It's this legendary mindset that we seek to uncover in episode 10 of the Beacon Street Buzz, one of the biggest we have ever had. I'm your host, Giovanni Collada. And I'm joined today by four of the biggest BC and NFL fans that I know. Jackson Shafroff, Jimmy Mann, Noah Ross, and Nick Petralia. That seems like a lot of people, and it is. But in the spirit of loving everything about what we do, it's important to do something we love, these interviews, with people we love to do it with. And while the whole of our crew was not on today, an interview like this would not have been possible without them. So I want to shout out and thank also Pepper Green, Timmy Anderson, Paul Koltovich, Brody Hannon, Luke Ticelli, and Alden Hunold for all of their contributions. Of course, this would be incomplete without Luke Keekley. So we want to thank him again for joining us this week. And now, fellow Eagles, on with the show. We're back 
and better than ever. After a break from the Beacon Street Buzz, we are joined by former BC football and Panthers linebacker turned radio analyst Luke Kigley. It's Thanksgiving. It's episode 10. Eagles, let's get buzzing. So 10 of the Beacon Street Buzz. Welcome back, everyone. We got pretty full house today back in the O'Neill Library podcast room here at Boston College and an incredible guest joining us today. One of the biggest we've ever had. This is Captain America from Cincinnati, Ohio, Mr. Luke Keekley. Yeah, thanks for I'm, I'm glad to be back on. Obviously, I met you guys up at uh, at school a couple weeks ago. It was so fun to be back up there. I miss it. I enjoyed my time at BC. And uh, if I could do it all over again, I would have went back up there. So uh, thanks for having me back on. It's good to see you guys having fun and uh, looking forward to a good weekend. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you so much for being here, Luke. And we want to rewind back to where it all began. We want to know why a young Luke Keekley, you know, growing up in Cincinnati, had your brothers around you that all played sports, obviously. Why did Luke Keekley want to become a football player? Honestly, when I was growing up, I I just loved, I loved sports and I loved the game of football. I liked watching it. I liked the team aspect of it. I like the thinking aspect of it. And everybody as a little kid just wants to go play football. I mean, at least that's what I wanted to do. That's all what all my friends wanted to do. We always couldn't wait till the first year we were able to play football. So the first year for me was in fourth grade, but I don't think there was anything that really inspired me to play football. It was just kind of the natural progression of what sports you play in the fall. You know, you play fall sports, winter, spring, and football was the obvious one to play in the fall and it was something that I wanted to play for a long time and like I said fourth grade was that first year that I wanted to go out there and do it and you've talked about in past interviews you've seen that your parents and your brothers were such a big part of why you learned to work hard and you find that football was really that outlet for you and that's why you're maybe drawn to it more than other sports yeah I just think it's such a it's such a team aspect obviously it's outside it's hard the weather can be bad and people rely on you. And I think you talk about the hard work aspect. I think that was something that you learn it, either it's instilled into you or you watch it or you just naturally have it. And I think luckily for me is I saw it and it was instilled in me at a young age from my parents, how hard they worked. My dad worked at his at, at work and my mom took care of everything else for our family, just taking people places, making lunches, taking care of the house, making sure that we had everything we needed as kids. It was a full-time job and it's something that that she worked extremely hard at and took a lot of pride in it and quite frankly made our life very easy for my brothers and I. And we were very fortunate to have that. And then my dad, same thing at work. He was there. He showed the value of hard work and the importance of hard work and really just pushed it on us as, as young kids, my brothers and I, and it was something that I think you ask Henry, my younger brother, or John, my older brother, I think we're very fortunate to have learned from two really good people. The numbers are, I think, the best result of that. You know, you've heard some of them about BC. You have played for the Panthers, obviously, had 118 NFL games, eight season, a couple of Pro Bowls, and Defensive Player of the Year award. So got the results to prove that the hard work you put in your whole life was really worth it. All right, so this might be a hard question for you to answer, but when would you say was the moment where it was like, wow, like I can kind of take this pretty far? I know you said that, you know, you started playing in fourth grade. Was there ever a moment where you were like, like, I can really, I got to take a shot at this. I got to work as hard as I can to get there. I think a lot of it was kind of what's the next level. So, you know, when you're in grade school, you always want to play. So we played third, fourth, 
fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. So when you're a third grader or you're on, when you're a fifth grader, you want to make sure that when you're in sixth grade, you're a starter. Same thing in seventh, because I didn't really play when I was a younger, when I was in the younger half of the, the grade. So when it was seventh and eighth grade football, I didn't really play that much. But you thought, oh, when I'm in eighth grade, I want to be a starter. Boom. So eighth grade comes. Now you want to be, you want to be a player on the freshman team in high school. And then eventually you want to be a player on varsity. And then once the real, when I really kind of saw it starting to come was after my junior season in high school, we had a really good team. Our team was strong. We had a really good group of upperclassmen. I started to get recruited a little bit. And I was like, you know what, if I'm smart and I work hard and I take care of business, I'm going to have an opportunity to play in college. And then, you know, you, you sign your letter of intent, you know, you're going to school and then your thought process is now is like, all right, boom. How can I make sure that my freshman year I come in, I'll probably get red shirted because the numbers, how can I make sure that I bust my butt that first year to maybe get a little bit of playing time, but set myself up for year two. And then I get to BC and we had a bunch of guys get banged up and I was like, all right, well now it's, now it's time. And then after my freshman year, after my sophomore year, I was like, this things, things are going pretty well. Um, I'm going to have an opportunity to play, continue playing after college if I have another good year. So that was kind of going into my, my junior year. So it was kind of a long-winded answer to say, I always looked at the next level, whether that was, you know, the next grade or high school from freshman team to varsity or from varsity team to playing in college. It was always like, what's the next level and what I got to do to make sure that I can get to it. You talk about your freshman year, you said yourself that not a lot of college freshmen have 153 tackles in their first season but the guys banged up it's always a next man up mentality we see that with the team now and you really stepped into that role beautifully uh yeah I know you brought up going to BC obviously that's why you're uh we wanted you on the podcast talk can you talk to us about the process of getting recruited to colleges and and why BC stood out for you yeah I mean it started shoot after after my junior year and they just you know they send you letters they call you they invite you to come to what they call junior days so that was in like the winter and spring of your junior year. They want to, I think what they really want to do is they want to see you. I think they care less about you seeing the campus and more about them seeing you. They want to see what you look like. What's your personality? How big are you? What do your parents look like? They want to put eyeballs on you because they can only learn so much from tape, right? So it started for me after my junior year and it was calls and letters and, hey, come up to school for a weekend. We'll show you around that kind of thing. And then what really the, the attraction to BC for me was I went to a Jesuit high school, obviously BC's Jesuit. Tom O'Brien was a head coach at BC for a long time and he went to my high school as well. So they just started plucking kids out of St. X. I mean, we've had a kid there for probably 25 years in a row, obviously Sean Duggan's a St. X kid. I grew up playing grade school football, high school, and then obviously at BC with him. And when I was getting recruited is when Matt was there and we were balling, we we're number two in the nation. Um, Obviously, you guys know it's a beautiful campus. It's right outside of Boston. And one of the other reasons was I wanted to go to a school that I wouldn't be able to get into without football. And I'm quite honestly, I wasn't going to get into BC academically straight up. So if I had a little bit of help and that was a reason why I could get in, I was going to take full advantage of it because I was like, look, I never thought I would play in the NFL. I was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to have as much fun as I can playing and see what happens. But I always knew in the back of my mind that all right, say things don't work out and I end up at school for five years. I'm going to go to school undergrad at BC for four. I'm going to get an MBA from Boston College in my fifth. And I'm going to have a great experience outside of Boston. I thought that was super attractive to me. Like, hey, say football doesn't work out, say football ends, which obviously it does for everybody. 
I can fall back on the fact that, hey, I got a degree and hopefully a graduate degree from Boston College. It's an honor that isn't taken lightly anywhere, regardless of whether you're a football player or not. And you did get to go to the NFL. But in terms of making the transition to BC as we're moving a little bit to your time here, talk about St. Xavier. You talk, mentioned Sean Duggan's co-DC here now. And the name you've mentioned before is Alex Albright as yeah. part of helping you make the adjustment and get acclimated to the culture here at Chestnut Hill. But what specifically about having so many guys from your high school here was helpful in you know getting you acclimated and having that amazing start that you did in your freshman year? I think there's a lot of just familiarity, right? And, you know, Alex was here and before Alex was Nick Larkin and Nick Larkin taught Alex everything. And then I got up here and Alex, I went on a visit and Alex is like, look, if you come here, I'll, I'll do anything you need me to do. I'll help you take care of you. I'll show you how to do everything. And that was a really calming experience and a calming thought that went through my head of like, Hey, if I go there, I immediately know somebody from Cincinnati that went to high school with me that said he's going to help me. And Alex wasn't just a normal dude on the team. He was a team captain. He was a stud, played with the Cowboys for a little bit, but just a really, really, really good dude. And that played such a role because when I got to BC, like I was a young freshman, but I had an older guy that took me under his wing and said, hey, look, like this is how you have to do things. These are the teachers to use. These are the coaches. This is how the coach is going to treat you, but this is what he means. These are the guys in the team. This is what it was like when I was a freshman. Albright was a team captain stud. And I just really good, you know, I had the backer that I had as a young freshman was a dude. Like Albright was a stud. Um, he was a big part of my success. And honestly, it, it was calming for me because his parents and my parents got along really well. And anytime my mom had a question or my mom needed to go up to school, she could ask. Alex's mom about questions and what's it like and who do I talk to and I think it was just a really good support network that I had built in because Alex was such a good person and had a lot of the same experiences and um, mindsets that I did when I was growing up. I think we can all say as you know now sophomores and a freshman in here with us that having someone you know beforehand it makes such a difference coming to a place that can really be unfamiliar and sometimes a scary place and that's absolutely have that in the football environment as well yeah outside of football is there a, a specific uh dorm room or like social setting that like with your favorite memory like where'd you live freshman and sophomore year i, I gotta know right, so i live i lived in fitzpatrick my hey. freshman year on upper let's go first floor you know when you walk in you turn left you walk down the hallway and then there's an exit on the left yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Our dorm, Jake Sinkovec and I's dorm was right there. If you're looking at that door to go out, it was the first door on the left right there. Wow. That's that was our that was our freshman dorm. And then I lived in second floor of Walsh my sophomore year. And then my junior year, I lived in Edmonds, which is which is no longer. You guys, you guys look up like you don't know what Edmonds yeah, is. No clue no, what that is. is. <laughs> Edmonds got whacked a couple years ago. That's where the new Plex is. Oh, it was right by, so it was right by Walsh, right where the new plexus is where Edmonds was. Right next to that. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite literally lived at the gym. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so moving back to football a little bit, you often are called one of the smartest linebackers that's ever played the game in college or pro. And doing the announcing for BC football this year has gotten me to learn a little bit about the game and watching the 4-3 defense you guys played at BC, being an inside linebacker in that position, you have such speed 
and such alertness to be able to get the ball, especially with the skills that you possess. But was there a coach or, or a specific time in your career at BC that you felt like you were most able to hone in those skills or someone that helped you really get those skills down to be able to play in the NFL at the level that you did? Yeah, so I had a couple guys. So Wes Davis was was a senior um, or was it, shoot, what was Wes? Wes would have been a redshirt junior when I was a freshman. So I got two years with Wes because obviously my sophomore year was his fifth year. Wes was a super smart safety, really big brain, great processor, really good teacher, and very helpful for um, for me. His locker was like, shoot, I was number 40. He was 45, so he was right down the row from me. And Wes, Wes was one of the first guys. I watched a little bit of tape in high school, but Wes was the first guy in college that was like, hey, come watch this with me. This is how you do it. This is why you do it. This is why it's important. This is how our defense matches up and how you can watch teams and, and kind of envision how our defense is going to fit. That helped me a ton because not only was he good at practice, he was good and he was very helpful watching tape. And then in games, he was a very calming presence. He was phenomenal. So he was really good for me um, in the film room and stuff like that. And then I was so lucky. I had obviously Mark Herzog was there. Mike McLaughlin was there. And then Mike Morrissey was um, same year as as hers and West and Albright, he was um, he came in as a walk on linebacker, was a stud, super smart. Um, he could play all over the place. He played corner for us one game because he just knew what to do, and he was a great teacher within the linebacker room for me. You know, like and not you know Mac and and hers were great too, but Mike was by me because he could really help me while, while Mac and and Mark were getting ready for games. Mike would come up to me and be like, Hey, look, like, think about this. Think about that. He was my roommate. We went to road games. So I just had, I had a really good calming presence in the room on the road, kind of like, Hey, I played this spot. I played that spot. This is what I saw. This is how I see it. And it was just another really good perspective. And then our defensive coordinator um, linebacker coach was Bill McGovern. Bill McGovern was a great coach, a great man. He unfortunately passed away um, this off season. Um, Super tough, obviously, for a lot of us, just but a great person, loved the game of football, loved his guys, just it was he was the best. So I think I had all my bases covered. I had a great group of buds at BC. I had a really good room with with obviously, you know, McLaughlin, hers, um, Mike Morrissey, and then and then Bill McGovern was the rock in our room, the rock on the defensive side of the ball. I just was very fortunate in my time at BC to literally have it all laid out for me. And you mentioned Coach McGovern. Anyone that knows college football knows that he was at UCLA and he was yeah. on recently in the second game of the season at Holy Cross. So yep. just a great couple of resources you had to really make you into the player that you ended up becoming. So I know you brought up uh, playing for the number two team in the nation. And what was that like being on campus for that, being, you know, the big guys on campus going to the stadium every week and it, it was full. Tell us about that. That was a big reason that I went to BC. So when I came on my recruiting visit was, no, it was my senior year. So my senior year, I think, is the one I went on my, I think it was official visit up there. And oh, junior, senior, I don't remember what it was, but my, Matt wasn't there, but it was still rocking. It was rocking. My first couple years at BC were rocking. It was just fun. You guys know how it is. There's nothing better than a full college stadium on game day. And the energy there was great. I love the stadium. Um, 
it was a it was a ton of fun. I loved playing football. I mean, it was the best the best sport out there. But yeah, that game was super cool. They played Georgia Tech. The energy was was ripping. It was it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the atmosphere at alumni. Was there an away atmosphere that you thought was typically tough to play in? Yeah, I mean, we played at Clemson. That place is always super loud. Notre Dame has a good environment. And then um, Lane Stadium out in Virginia Tech is sick. I mean, there's some really – that's why the ACC is such a good conference. There's really good – there's really good away stadiums and away environments to play in, and that just adds to the overall energy of a college football game. Yeah, well, thank Cal, SMU, and Stanford for keeping it alive. That's right. <laughs> One of my favorite questions to ask is, like, what number – people choose and like why so like obviously here at bc you were 40 what was the thought process behind taking 40 and especially like i know you weren't 40 when you left and went to the league so when you shifted from 40 to 59 you get a really boring story about those two for you the first number 40 i walked in the locker room and they said your locker's over there and i was like where they're like over there and that's your number and i said okay perfect i got a number i got a locker i'm good to go um, they, they just gave me, they gave me a number and they said, here's your number. And I was like, great. I didn't even think about, Hey, I don't like that number. It was like 40. Perfect. And it's weird. That was my first number that I ever had when I was a little kid. My first year playing football was number 40. So it was just kind of like, Hey, walk in, here's your number. Be happy with it. Here's your gear. Just deal with it. You're a freshman. We don't need to hear anything from you. This is what you're going to have. And then I got to the, I got to Carolina and honestly a very similar a very similar setup I was uh so back when I got in the NFL linebackers could only be 50 numbers or 90 numbers and you don't and I wasn't gonna fit I was gonna look like a dodo in a 90 number so 50 was taken 51 was Sam Mills that was a retired jersey number for the Carolina Panthers just got in the Hall of Fame um 52 was John Beeson 53 was James Anderson 54 is Jason Williams 55 was uh one of our defensive ends 56 was Kenny Anatolu 57 was Jordan Sen 58 is Thomas Davis so the only number available for me was 59 90 was given to a defensive end that we drafted and so the only number available was 59 and like BC they said you see that that's your locker that's your number be happy I was like perfect yeah it's um unimaginable to see you see the blue 59 that's that's Luke Kuechly. You know? Yeah, it's funny. It's just that was your number, and I was like, perfect, done. Yeah. Uh, here at BC, is there a specific class or teacher? I remember when you were on campus, you had talked about um, um, a fundamentals of finance teacher yeah. that you had a lot of fun with. I, right? I actually have to tell you. So I have a Santorinian right now. and he Oh, was, he's the best. He was name dropping you, and he told he said that he told you you had to pay for dinner for every single member of his class. I want to know, <laughs> is that true? He said once you got drafted, you had to pay for everybody's dinner. He said that he brought that back up to me when I was at school again. The guy's the guy's smart like a whip. He doesn't forget a thing. He was he was uh, yeah he was he was hilarious. He was great. He was a really good teacher. Um, but yeah, he doesn't forget any of that. And he's like, hey, if you leave school early, you need to come back and buy everyone lunch. So I still I still owe him that. I, I suppose. Yeah, 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 Obviously, we made that bet. You know who else was really good? I saw up there. We had a, I had a lot of really really good teachers. Amy Lacombe was a really good teacher as well. Um, a great person, a great teacher. I think generally cares about everyone at BC or students, everyone at faculty. So I saw I saw uh, Hassan training up there, and then I saw Amy Lacombe as well. I had a lot of 
really, really good teachers that treated me great. But those are the two that when I was up at BC that I saw. And I had um, Professor Lacombe for our freshman portico class. And she, She's just like a, a great person. Yeah. And so it's great. These are lasting relationships that go with the dude even as you've had a whole career. And speaking of that career you had at BC, yeah. you were recently inducted into the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame with guys like Tebow, like Reggie, Michael James. We got an Eagles guy in here. So Jeremy Macklin's in that class. <laughs> and must have been one of the greatest things you could ever think of having a football career getting into a hall of fame of the ncaa well take me back to that moment when you find out what was that like for you yeah i was actually uh i loved i loved to hunt and fish and i was sitting in a deer stand and <laughs> my phone started buzzing on me and i was like what is going on barry gallup um he went to bc played at bc he's worked at bc forever in the football department he is like the godfather of bc football he called me he texted me he left me a voicemail i was like what like what is going on? I was trying to see if everything's okay. I texted him like, is everything okay? I can't talk right now. He's like, yeah, call me when you can. I was like, oh my gosh. So I called him and he told me, so it was kind of just a, it was, he was the perfect person to call me about it because just of his impact at Boston college. He was, like I said, he played there, he coached there. He'd been, we had worked there for I forever. And everybody that played football at BC has some sort of Barry Gallup story and he loves the program and to have somebody call me like that was super cool. But, you know, it's a great thing. You know, we all grow up watching college football and watching guys. And um, I just think like I talk about, it, I think it's just a, I think it's just a representation of, of, of Boston college and the support I had at BC. I mean, like I told you guys about from, from coaches to players to all my buds that I came into school with, we just had such a good crew there. And I think we we're so fortunate. I was so fortunate to end up in the position I did. So I don't think without BC and the structure and the people around it, I don't think I would have been in the situation I'm in now. Uh, yeah. I, I know you were talking about like the ACC and and how it's cool it is to play in, in a power five conference school. Was there, do you remember a specific game or a specific team at your time at Boston college that really stuck with you? I think so. We played my freshman year is a lot of first times. Right. And I think those are things that stick out to me. I mean, we played, First time playing in a college stadium. I mean, I, I in, in front of a real crowd. I mean, we played some college. We played some games in pro and college stadiums when I was growing up. But this was like a real college. We were playing college football, and that was super cool. So that was my first game. And then our first ACC game, we went down to Clemson and played in Clemson and Death Valley. And that was just, I mean, C.J. Spiller, Jacoby Ford, they had Daquan Bowers. They were stacked. And that was just you know, you, if you're a college football fan, you know, that's a sweet place to play a game. So played there. And then the one game that sticks out to me, my freshman year was um, we played Florida state at home. It's an afternoon. I think it was an afternoon game. Um, and game day was there, which was sweet. And the energy and was awesome. We played as the game went on, obviously come out after halftime, halftime, the lights are on. It's a night game. That to me, was one of the cooler experiences that I had in college football. We won that game. It was a ton of fun. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah, we haven't been treated to a single night game this year. Is that the game where Lee Corso goes party in the modes? 
It might be. Is that, no, that know. that's against Clemson no, that was, uh, in 2017. That was the one you were at. Yeah, right? I was at that so, one. Yeah, Jimmy here was at game day back in 2017 where Lee Corso had that um, famous now now BC famous party in the modes. The Cut modes to- is that what you guys call it? That's no, what that he called. That's what he called. Oh, call. I was like, I was like, guys, we're gonna have to come to Jesus moment with you guys. <laughs> you don't know what Edmonds is. You call it the modes, and I was like, daggone, we've we've fallen off the the deep end a little bit here. This is going. In the wrong direction. Oh. All right, good. I'm glad we got that clarified. I was like, guys, I don't know. We gotta, we gotta take that Boston College hat off you real quick if you don't know it's called correctly. I think we gotta give Coach Corso a lesson, though. I agree. That. I agree. So you talk about having played here in in games, in big time games, big time matchups. It's the ACC. It's under the lights. And you you talked about in an interview I watched with yours a couple of weeks ago about the last game of your junior year going down to Miami, however, and having probably one of your better games in an Eagle uniform. And you probably know one in the back of your mind, it's one of your last games or what it would be your last game as an Eagle. So talk, talk me through that game. And what was the, the, your mindset going into it and how did you feel afterwards? I think it was, you know, you, the first thing is you get to go play against the Miami hurricanes down at their home field. That is awesome. You know, we don't play them obviously every year. So to have the opportunity to do that on Thanksgiving, it was a nationally televised game which was sweet. And I didn't, I honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew that maybe there's a possibility, but I didn't, I honestly didn't know. Um, But it was, it was a great game. We played really well on the defense side of the ball. I think we had three interceptions. Hampton Hughes had one. um, And then Sean Duggan had one at the end of the game too. That was kind of a game sealer a little bit. We scored some, we did a good job on offense. It was just, it was just awesome. I mean, we went down there. It was a day after Thanksgiving. We had Thanksgiving in Miami. The team had like a Thanksgiving day dinner for us the night before the game. It was just, it was just fun, man. Like those are the things that you remember is like traveling with your buddies, what we did at the team hotel, the team fed us, the cool environments that you get to play in. It was a straight up night game on ESPN. I think those are all the things that you remember that were really cool. Yeah. And then obviously the history between BC and Miami, the Flutie yeah. Bass, famous yeah. one. Such a historic match. Was that game still played in the Orange Bowl Stadium? Was it still there at that time? No, it was in the hard hard what what, what was what now is the hard rock. Okay. Yeah, that's a pro stadium. It gets pretty rowdy in there. Well, they can't it's so weird because it feels like they they can't get enough students to go to the games. Well, it's, it's like it's like forty five minutes away. It's a little bit of a hike to get there, yeah. Like they have in UCLA where they go play in the Coliseum and no one goes because it's an hour away. And transitioning now to the NFL. You're the tied for the highest drafted BC player. That was, I'm sorry, Matt wasn't. Yeah. You know who you're tied with by chance? Second. I'm highest. trying to think who is. So who is? What side of the ball? Defensive, defensive tackle, and I'll tell you, he went to Green Bay. Mike Ruth. Not Mike was Ruth. It, no, no, was it? Was it Bosa's dad? Was not Bosa's dad. No, you want? Hang on, hang on. Oh, hang on. Oh, I didn't hear anything. You didn't hear it. All right, yeah, we we'll give it one more guess. Chris Hovan. Noah. It is B.J. Raji is who you're looking oh, for. Oh, B.J. Raji went to the – yeah, I should have known that. He was with Ron Brace and hers and Mike McLaughlin to the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. So, my fault, it's your second highest. So, regardless, you're in the top ten. We'll just say on the defensive side of the ball. We don't count those offensive guys. Yeah. <laughs> highest drafted on the defensive side of the ball. Sure. And you watch it at home with your family and makes the, the famous Clark Kent comment with the, uh, the photo of you in the glasses. But – that day had to be one of the best you've ever experienced. Can you walk me through a little bit what that was like watching at home with your family? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I wanted to be at the house because it was a little, a little stressful. You don't know where you're going to be. 
Um, you've been, I've been traveling around a tons, you know, you got to travel and see different teams and they want to put eyes on you. And you're kind of just like, man, I just like to be at home for a little bit, you know, before this thing gets too crazy. So it was great that I was at home. My family was all there. A couple of my buddies from BC came down for the draft, which was awesome. Um, but it was just one of those things you work so hard, you know, in that pre-draft process. And it's like, all right, well, I have no idea where I'm going to go, what team, what system, who's on the team, like who's like East coast, West coast, North, South, you have no, you just really have no idea. It's a, it's kind of a crap shoot. They've got some ideas where you think you're going to go and you really just want to get started because it's the first time in your life where you don't really get to pick, you know, anything, you know, in high school, you can pick where you go to high school, college, you can pick where you go to college, I got to pick where I trained. I got to pick who my agent was, I got to pick where I watched the draft. So you kind of in the back of your mind, you always know like, all right, at least this is under, it's in my control. And then you get to the draft and you're like, well, I don't really, don't really know what's going to happen. I have no control over this. I just got to sit back and wait and see what happens. So I just remember when I was, when we were watching the draft, they got to Miami, Miami draft in Tannehill. And I remember when it said the selection was in or right when it said Miami drafted Ryan Tannehill, my phone rang and it was a 704 number, which obviously was, with Charlotte, I didn't know that at the time, um, but then I picked it up. So they're like, hey, Miami just drafted you. This is the Carolina Panthers. When we get up there, we're going to draft you. Here's our head coach. Here's our GM. You know, congrats, blah, blah, blah. Talk to them for a little bit. And then uh, they're like, hey, here's your flight for tomorrow. You're going to come here. So I don't remember anything that I talked about. It was a blur. I was like, what is going on? And I just remember – Brian Porter was our guy that that took care of all that stuff. He's like, this is your flight. I will email it to you. Are you good? I was like, what? He's like, are you good? And I was like, I think so. And I just remember he texted me. He emailed me all my information. He did, he's probably like, this kid has no idea what's going on. He is delirious. He's probably just in a different world right now trying to figure out what's going on. I'll email him. I'll text him. I'll call him. He better get on this plane tomorrow and get down to Charlotte. So it was a, uh, it was a definitely super exciting. It was kind of a weight off your shoulders, knowing like, all right, now I know where I'm going to go, and then you get that another stress of like, all right, now I got to go, now I got to go back it up and play football. And that's the part they don't tell you about is the fact that you're down there the next day. You go on the team's Instagram page nowadays, you see the first round draft pick there at eight a.m. the next morning. You're like, well, yeah. how did you get there? But that's definitely one of the parts that it's like you said, go out. It starts immediately. You go back it up and you play. All right. I got to ask you. So uh, you were telling us that you grew up in Ohio. Then you go play college ball in Boston. Those are both very not warm climates. And then you get drafted to go to Carolina. So what type of transition was that going from playing in winter games where it's snowing on you and it's like 30 degrees at game time every day. And then you go down there and it's 70 and nice and sunny. Like, What's that like? So the it's hot. It's hotter. It's a very similar climate in like late summer that it is in in Cincinnati so you kind of get used to the heat it is a little bit hotter down here it gets warmer faster you can just get used to that um but I what I will say is it is nice when you roll out like I don't know what it is in Boston right now but outside today it's let's see here it's blue sunny blue skies and like 50 55 to 60 degrees yeah so that part honestly that part's super nice but I would what I will say that it's kind of funny is I came back up to school after my rookie year to finish up um my school stuff and I was cold all the time I went right after so I when I left BC I went down to Florida and trained for six eight weeks in Florida so it was beautiful in Florida 
And then I go back to Cincinnati. And by that time, it's the spring, so it's nice. And then I get drafted to go to Carolina, and I'm down there. My first time down there was like April. And then go May, June, May, June, it is getting hot. I go back July, Cincinnati, hot there. Go down for training camp. It's blazing. Play the season here. We didn't really have any cold games to speak of. And then I go back up to BC and we got like 75 inches of snow that winter. So I was like, man, I am freezing. I don't know what the deal is, but I'll tell you what, you get down in the warmer weather for a little while, your body doesn't, isn't acclimated to that cold anymore. And the snow will come the day after Thanksgiving. I bet it'll be so it'll literally in the beginning of November. It's it's 30 degrees. Seriously, the other day, yeah. got a couple flurries. Yeah. There was a, for like 30 minutes yeah, in one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so going off of the transition from BC to the NFL, what was it like with like the defensive schemes and how was that transition? So luckily for me, we aren't we were a four three in college and then we were in a four three in Carolina. The biggest thing is the terminology right so like you got to relearn everything what what blitzes are called what pressure you know your pressures um what you know what they how they call the front how they move the front what coverages are called all that stuff is completely different and then there's obviously the intricacies involved in how they do things so you play cover three like 95 percent of it's going to be the same but the five percent you better make sure that you know because that you can put a lot of guys in bad positions if, if you're not playing it correctly. Right. So that was a, that was a transition, a lot of new stuff in the playbook, you know, an under front, we weren't, we didn't really run any under in college. That was a whole completely different look at an offense running it from an over to an under front. So that took some time to get used to. I played Will and Mike Backer, my first training camp OTAs first couple weeks of the season. Cause they're just trying to find, you know, where does he fit the best? So I was trying to figure out, both both positions it was it was honestly it was kind of a lot but then you start to just slowly break it down and take your time and study and before you know it you start kind of figuring it out and one thing that I always did was I would always write down all right this is what we call it in Carolina and then right next to it I would write what we called it at BC so then when I'd be flipping through my notes it's like all right we called one of our blitzes was called like Spain or whatever. And I was like, all right, boom. And at BC, this is what we called Spain. So then if I'm, when I'm studying, I'm like, all right, Spain, what's Spain? Oh, it's just, just like this done. Now I can like kind of memorize it that way. And that's kind of what I did. I did a lot of just associations with, you know, coverages and phrases and stuff like that. What a lot of people I think forget is, I mean, I think everyone in here has seen your top 10 biggest hits video on YouTube, but you had 18 interceptions in the NFL, which for a middle linebacker is rare in the sense that that's a lot of interceptions for a middle linebacker in eight years. And did you feel like where did you develop that ball hawking sense? And do you have a single favorite interception that you ever had? I, I think, first of all, I think I played in a scheme that was very, that was good to inside linebackers. I think how it was set up, it allowed me favorable matchups, allowed me to be aggressive. It allowed me to take chances play a lot of zones so I could keep my eyes on the quarterback and kind of feel stuff. I wasn't locked in on one guy. We had a really good pass rush when I was there and we had really good blitzing linebackers. Thomas Davis was phenomenal at it. So he was a great blitzer. I was terrible at it. So, and he liked it. So it was perfect world where he would go blitz. I could play in coverage. I think that helped a ton. Um, And then we honestly, man, like I keep saying this kind of stuff, but it's true. We had great coaches that set us up for success and, talked formations, route adjustments. Hey, this is where you can take 
a chance. These are the guys you got to know where they're lined up. Where is where is Travis Kelsey aligned? Is he here? Is he there? This is what he likes to run out of this spot, that spot, off motion. This is where he wants to be. This is the run action you're going to get associated with this pass concept. And it's a lot of information, but the more time you spend watching it and learning and paying attention, it all starts to kind of slowly accumulate and build on itself. And you're like, boom, I can see this. Now this makes sense. This is this is a concept. And I mean, that's what the NFL is. It's all route concepts. Stuffs are routes are designed to get guys open. And if you can understand pressures and leverage and depth of routes and why they want to do things, boom, now I can see two or three guys and I don't even have to look at the other person because I know where he's trying to get to based on what these guys are doing. All right. You got to tell me what it was like playing for Ron Rivera. You're that's a, I mean, like that's a historic coach still coaching now was there for, I think the entire time you were there, right? 2011, 2019, I think it was right. Yeah. So like you think about Ron, right? I mean, great coach, obviously, but the one thing that Ron had that was unique was he, he played and he played with an 85 bears, one of the best defenses ever. And he played and he played linebacker, right? So you had that, right? And not only did he just play linebacker, he played with he played with Mike Singletary, and then he coached Briggs, and he coached Erlacher, and he was in San Diego with some really good defenses. So it's like, and then we had Sean McDermott as our defensive coordinator. So he so Sean coached a lot of the defense, and Al Holcomb was a great linebacker coach. He was there for a majority of my time. But then every once in a while, Ron would come over and tell you something. And, you know, you, you, I'll tell you what, you better listen because he's going to tell you it. And there's a reason why it's like, okay, boom, either it happened to him or he saw it happen to Singletary or he coached, or he coached Lack and Briggs and he saw it happen to them. You know what I mean? Like that is so valuable to have a coach that played your position coached. I mean, Lack at Lack and, and Singletary Hall Famers and Briggs was an absolute monster too. So it's like you better you better listen because he's he's not doing it to help himself. He's doing it to help you and help the defense and help the team. So and he was a great person. He loves he loves football. He loves the guys. I think if you could be like, hey Ron, what is your perfect your perfect job? You know, obviously he's been a great head coach, a great coach his whole career, but like he would love to just go back and be a player and be in the locker room and play with the guys and play cards and have fun and joke around and travel to games and like that's I think what made him in addition to his mind as a football coach made him really good is that he just understood the locker room he understood the guys he understood what makes football fun and I think that was just such a a fortunate thing for us and all the guys that he had the opportunity to coach um I know growing up and probably everyone else in this room uh we remember you from for playing for one of the most fun teams I think I've ever seen that 15 and 15 uh, that he was, yeah, I mean that fit that 2015 season. I feel like all we did was have fun. I mean, from you look at our team and it was a bunch of dudes that loved having fun. But when it was time to go, it was time to go. I mean, you look on the offense side of the ball, Ryan Khalil. He like he was creative. He was our creative guy. So he had a, a ton of really fun things that he would do. He runs a production company at a cat in, in Hollywood right now. It's awesome. It's called Mortal Media. Plug for Ryan. Check it out. So he was super creative. Stu, Jonathan Stewart was a guy that um he had a, a music studio in his house and he would create stuff for the guys in the locker room. Fozzie Whitaker was was just a great locker room dude. 
Mike Tolbert was hilarious. Stu or Fozzie and, and Tolbert played the music in the locker room. Greg Olson, I wish you guys could be around him. I'm sure you guys go watch some of his podcasts with the Barstool guys. He's hilarious. And then we had, and then we had Cam. And I mean, <laughs> like, that's all you got to say is we had Cam Newton, and that was when he was at his at his height. He was just, he was like a superhero. He was bigger than everybody. He was yeah, faster was- than everybody. He was stronger than everybody. He'd run through guys' face and then dance on them. Like, and our team fed off that. And obviously we had guys on the defense side of the ball, but I think Cam was like the dude that everyone thinks about, right? Our offense had the most creative dudes. And we had guys on the defense that were just ball or football players that were great dudes that worked super hard. But Cam, like, it's like a cartoon character. He'd go out there, he'd play quarterback, he'd run over four guys, stiff arm eight people, jump over somebody, score a touchdown, give it to the people in the stands, dab, open his Superman shirt up. And the then the next play, he, he, made, he made the dab. Yeah, he made it. And then he threw like an 80-yard touchdown to Olsen, and he'd run around the whole stadium and get everyone involved. It was like – and Ron, Ron – I give Ron a lot of credit. He towed the line between, hey – you guys should have fun, but also this is a football team. And we got to make sure that we're on our P's and Q's. And he was phenomenal at taking care of all of them. Going off of that, is there, from your NFL career, is there like a funniest moment? Because I there's a specific video that I'm kind of thinking of. Um, maybe in a meeting room with you and, and Cam on the phone. Oh, yeah. So that was when Josh was on Redskins. The Redskins. And I think. I think I forget what it was like Greg was like listed as like questionable or something. And Cam and I are like, we need to mess with Josh and like, cause and see what he, and see what we can get away with. And, and Josh is like, Hey, is Greg playing? We're like, man, like, no, he's not like, he's not going to play. Like it's a bummer. And Josh is like, you're so, I don't, like, I can't believe you told me that. And we're like, like, do you think we're actually going to tell you if he's playing or not? And obviously Greg went out and played and played really well that game. So it was so funny that Cam and I were in there and Josh is trying to get information off of us. And we're like, Josh, yeah, like, of course he's not playing. He's hurt. His elbow's messed up. Like, he's not going to play. And then old 88 walked out there and balled out. And poor Josh, we beat them. And we beat them. I think it was Monday Night Football in uh, at FedEx Field. So I hate to be the one to bring it up, but obviously the Super Bowl didn't go your way. But without the – I guess, result of the game. How was that experience like the week before with the media? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, you get to, like, you get, obviously, you know, we want to win, right? And obviously we were bummed and that sucked and whatever. But the soup, like, that year was so fun. Everything that went right could have went right. The only thing that didn't happen, we didn't go to Super Bowl. Like, yeah, it sucks. But that whole season was so fun. From the fans to the way games to the bus rides to the plane rides to the stories that we had to how much fun guys had in the locker room. That media day for Super Bowl is like nothing you've ever seen. It is unbelievable the amount of people, the amount of different questions, like people from international people come, you get national media. It is like a feeding frenzy in it. Like you're playing in the Super Bowl. You show up to the Super Bowl. I'm on the field in pregame warmups, and it's like you name it, they're on the field. Usher, Kevin Durant. <laughs> um, like th- those dudes were just on the field and you're like, Oh my gosh, like what is going on? And then, you know, everyone always thinks about when they talk about Super Bowl, 
the the kickoff and the lights the the flicker of the flashes is something that you'll just never you never forget that stuff and that to me was super cool and that's got to be i mean like jackson said the result didn't go the way you wanted it but the whole experience is really why you play the game it's why you get it's why you go out Look, we got to play in the super bowl against peyton manning and you know we didn't win the game but you got to play in the super bowl and no one can take that from you and we had a phenomenal season and some of my best football memories are from that season so yeah i could say yeah that season was a waste of our time blah 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 but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be failed fair to anybody and i just think the support that we got and the fan support and the energy in this in this in the in the city and it was it was so fun. It was like bigger. It was bigger than football that year in Charlotte. People were just like, "Hey, we we didn't lose until Christmas." And I just remember guys being like, "Hey, I I see you this same spot every day because I haven't switched my routine up once because we haven't lost." I'm like, "Perfect, I haven't either." There's so many little things that happen that you're like, "This is awesome," and people love it and share it. And that's the best part is you get to share all this stuff with everyone. All right. So I saw reports earlier in the year that Frank Reich was talking to you about the future. Is there any consideration there ever, or is that just him, you know, trying to have you around, keep you around the Panthers organization? I had to ask. Yeah. So I love, I love the Panthers. I, I do the radio with them now. I love the game. I want to be involved with the team. But one thing that I've done a lot recently that I really enjoy is I coached a Pop Warner team the last two years, and I'm trying to figure out a way to do it again next year. It's like kids are hilarious. We have a ton of fun. Um, and it's cool because it reminds me of when I was a little kid too. And, how and how special the game was and how lucky I was to have the coaches I did. Plus I get to do it with some of my really good buddies. We have a blast. So I'm a, I'm still under my pop Warner contract right now. So I gotta, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of that. Yeah. You got to negotiate. And so you talked about doing the radio with Denise Shroff. You do that on 997, the Fox. And you got any advice from Olsen there about the transition to the booth? What's that transition been like? Oh, it's been fun. I actually talked to him this morning about some different things. So we played the Cowboys this weekend and Fox is doing the game. So Greg will be there with Burkhardt and Manny Andrews and Rinaldi and all those guys. So I talked with him and um, just kind of about like, Hey, what he saw, what I'm seeing. Um, he's just, he's one of my, one of my best buds down here. So we talk football weekly and um, we just, you know, exchange information and what are you seeing? What am I seeing? What are some things you've seen? Cause he's seen, He's done Dallas like probably two or three times this year on Fox. So he's got some good, he's got some good stuff. When you watch a team in person, it's completely different than what you watch when you're watching tape. And so one really quick final thing. You were here back on campus for Project Live. We'll shout out UGBC and Annie Quinn. But talk to the team also within that. What was your message to the team given the middle season they've had, given that they're going bowling this year for the first time in a little bit? What did you want those guys to take away? From them. I just think about how, how special the game of football is and how much, you know, I got a unique perspective in the sense of obviously I'm not playing anymore. Right. So I just always tell guys that are in it right now, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you don't like football, but when you get done playing, I promise you're going to miss it. And don't let a day go by when you don't do a little bit extra. You don't go to bed at night and smile and say, Hey man, I'm so happy that I get to play the game of football. So that's really my biggest message is like, hey, when you're playing football, just think about how happy, it, you know, I, I, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but not, not everybody feels this way. But I love the game of football. It was very good to my my family. It was very good to me. I met a lot of really good people. And now that the game's over, I, I quite frankly miss it. So when you're in it and you're playing and it gets hard and it sucks, just remember, hey, 
this is going to be over one day. And I want to make sure that when it is over, I did everything I could to enjoy it and take it to the maximum potential I could. That's a powerful message. Logan. I think you can say that for anything you do in life. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Life lesson. And hopefully we'll be able to take it. You always slip in that you're an athlete. So I was going to say, I will try to use it for my intramural basketball team. We're going to, we're going to, but season's early. Season's early. <laughs> I was, I was wondering, you know, if you have some free time, we do need some rebounding. Uh, I'm a box out paint guy. I play defense. <laughs> yeah, rebound. That's about it. All of my people reach out to your people. We'll get some. All right. We'll get it coordinated. Awesome. Luke, thank All you right, so for doing this, man. Thank you. Entered out. You guys have a great day. And that folks is the legend of Luke. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 10 of the Beacon Street Buzz. We'll be back next week with episode 11. For now, it's been a hell of a night. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Can't stop the spirits when they need you. This life is more than just a read-through.